Welcome to Food Safety University, episode 20, and today we are talking with David Zarling, who is the senior associate here at Food Safety University, and um, we've got lots of good stuff I've uh, alluded to over the past couple of podcasts, so tune in for what's a great conversation. Welcome to the Food Safety University podcast presented by Dr. Michelle Fannin-Steele of Deergo Food Safety. Tune in to learn food safety in plain English. We will break down the ins and outs of the food code, HACCP plans, you name it. We make food safety simple, easy, and even fun. Now here is your host, Dr. P. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of the podcast. I am super excited to be here. We have one of my most favorite people to work with, David Zarling, and David works for me. He's my senior food safety associate. Um, we've been working together for like six months now, and I brought him here on the podcast so that we could talk about what we're doing and uh, what we're going to be doing and uh, make the introduction and then uh, talk about some future work and future podcast stuff that's coming up. Uh, so David, take it away, my friend. Let us know who you are, what you're up to. Yeah. Hey, thanks. Thanks for the intro. Hello, everyone. I'm, I'm David Zarling. Um, like Dr. P said, I'm a senior food safety associate with Dirigo. Uh, I also have a podcast that I do myself called The Meat Block that you may have listened to. It's all about the meat industry in particular. And uh, um, I'll also be uh, doing some things on the Food Safety University podcast, which we'll talk about in a bit. But um, the reason why I have a podcast about meat processing and the industry is because that's what my background is in. So uh, I started in uh, retail meat cutting and moved up to uh, on-farm slaughter and uh, have since managed a USDA-inspected uh, mobile slaughter unit, brick-and-mortar USDA-inspected plants, uh, custom-exempt plants, and um, done some supply chain work. So I love I love uh, meat and producing food and, uh, of all kinds. Um, I've grown vegetables, too. Uh, commercially and and uh yeah I, I just i just love working towards regionalizing uh our food economies and getting food security to areas that are underserved i mean where i grew up it was it was very you know I, where i grew up where i live now you know i i tend to live kind of far out in more rural areas and what i found is it's actually incredibly expensive to be in what you might call a more economically depressed area, you know, really rural areas. It's very expensive to be poor, if you want to put it that way, you know, uh, or, or, or to be rural or to not have access. Um, and especially for organic food or rege regeneratively produced food, whatever it may be, it's, it's unattainably expensive in rural areas. And, and so, um, you know, we're Dr. P and I are, are doing a lot of work towards bringing better food um, and to local areas because the people are there making the food. There's there's great producers in a lot of small communities, but but many of uh, their products are not sold in their communities. So we're um, yeah, we're doing a lot of work in that arena, I think, right now. That's that's where my passion lies. And, and some people ask me why and I, I think it's probably rooted in how much i love to eat i'm a pretty big person uh i can really <laughs> really pack it away and i just i love food it's my whole life you know so well that's really awesome and you know it's really interesting to hear you talk about 
how um, how the people who produce our food have food insecurity. And that is something that I, you probably don't know this, but um, something that I've been working on for a really long time. So back when I was getting thinking I was going to get a master's degree, I did a big study uh, in Maine on veterans and food insecurity in veterans. <laughs> and 20% of Maine veterans were food insecure. Wow. Which is, yeah, I mean, that's it's a staggering number. Uh, it probably got worse during coronavirus. Yeah. And what we find, and we find this in rural communities a lot, is that uh, food insecurity tracks jobs uh, much more than it tracks poverty. Uh, and your and 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 so one of the things I like about the work that we do together so much is that we're not a not-for-profit. We build businesses. We build profitable businesses that bring jobs to rural communities. So could you talk a little bit, uh, you know, to the people who are thinking about starting businesses, um, who are, who are like super passionate, just like you, super passionate about their food, meat or otherwise, um, and, and what you would say to them as they are looking as they are looking about them uh, starting their own business in food production. Things to think about to get started. Um, <clears throat> you know, uh, before, I think, I think before even diving into operations, actually before I started working for you, I would have dove directly into operations first and planned that. Um, but, but I think, I think the thing that uh, I learned first working a year ago is it's like, um, figuring out what, what results you want. Right. So this is like the thing that, that we talk to everybody about, um, which I think is, is actually incredibly simple. It's, it's very complicated because you have to like navigate your own mind, but it's really, really simple. You got to figure out what you want to do first. Like, what do you want to make? You know, a lot of people say, well, I want to process my own meat and I want to make value added stuff. And I want to have a farmer's market stand and then we're going to do, you know, and it's like, yes to all of it. Of course, we're gonna do that, but not for not for a little while. So, like, what 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 are we gonna do? <laughs> what are we gonna do right out of the gate? What's the zone of genius? Like, what what is the the special thing that differentiates? Anyways, you want to figure out what you want to do and like where it fits into your community. Um, I think it's a good idea to consider, you know, who you're gonna hire, um, and and what kind of uh, what kind of employment program you're going to have because chances are it's not going to be just you. And even if it is you, it'll be just you for the first year. Cause you know, everybody's Hercules the first year, their first business and, and, and or their new business rather. And then, and then their actual life calls them back. <laughs> and so, uh, you, you know, you have to think about who you're going to hire and what that looks like and what you want to provide. And as you build that business plan, having that budget with, with, uh, the types of, you know, a, a, a realistic headcount and, and what you want to pay your people in your community um, and, and how that fits into your business plan, your bottom line and how and what your throughput's going to have to be. Because that's when you that's when you really when, when the rubber hits the road is when you figure out how much money you have to make. And then look at all the products that are coming out and, and, and everything you want to make. And, and, and uh, that's a really quick, quick and very easy motivator for a, a, a product rationalization you know doing less in higher volumes and always being in stock and doing it very well is always better than doing a million things to make ends meet so 
I think that I think that just those kinds of thoughts, thought exercises, are how I I would uh, how we tell people to start all the time. You know, right. figure out what you want to make, who you want to make it for, where are you going to get your raw materials from, where you going to, who's going to work for you. You know, um, that's that's the the first step, I think. So when you're working with people, you know, we call what were you, what you're talking about is, is the concept I call who before how, right? Because people come to us and they're like, how do I write my HACCP plan? How do I make, you know, um, how do I make this? How do I make that? Um, how do I fix this? How do I get out of trouble with the USDA? <laughs> right. Um, and the question that I always ask them is, well, you know, who do you want to who do you want to be? Um, because, you know, in the middle of a, an emergency situation, I very often tell my clients that, that they can, in fact, emerge stronger from whatever challenging situation that they're having if they decide who they want to be. Um, and so, like, when you're working with clients, um, answer me this, like, who do you want to be, David, when you're working with clients? Who who I have realized I want, you know, that's that's another thing that has changed a lot since I started working for you. I used to I used to be the type of person that would um, do everything myself, you know, and just and just like sheer, through sheer brute strength and focusing on efficiency, I would always want to do, you know, was the type of kind of like a helicopter manager consultant like someone who would who would take it all on and do everything and um but but who who i actually want to be is uh the type of person that teaches somebody how to fish rather than fishing and saying watch me that's who that's who i like to be like i like i really want to be someone who uh um has has successful and confident uh, people that I work with, you know, because they, because they understand the process and how, and they did it themselves. And that, and that's one of the, the cool things about FSU that I love is that people write their own HACCP plans. There's, there's absolutely no way to not, there, there's no way to not be intimately familiar with your food safety program when you write it yourself, you know? Right. And that's why, that's why over at Food Safety University is like, we'll hold your hand, we'll guide you, we'll give you the templates. But if you want to pass our SIP class, <laughs> you've got to actually do it yourself because, I mean, you've been in, you've been in places, I've been in places where we have to go in and we have to rewrite other people's HACCP plans or they say, Dr. P, what is, what does this mean? And why am I getting written up for it? <laughs> mm -hmm. Yep. All the time. And that's super, that's just like super, super difficult. So one of the things that we're that we are doing within food safety university is we're having a deep involved um discussion and training program around plant management um and one of the reasons i brought you on is because of your deep level of experience in plant management and your vision for what plant management can be right and you have if i haven't told you this already a beautiful vision for what plant management can be and i'm so excited for that to come to food safety university and that training to be at food safety university so could you talk a little bit about what you 
um, like your vision of what a plant manager is, um, and then and then you know dive into some of the things that we are working on to to really help train people uh, in that aspect of running a food manufacturing business. Mm. Yeah, ab absolutely. Thank you very much. By the way, I, I really appreciate that. Uh, so first and foremost, uh, I I believe that you know managers are are servants. We are people who. Uh, you know, we do definitely take a lot of stress, but, but managers are, are folks who um, remove the speed bumps for the subject experts or the, the expert technicians to, to just fly and just do what they do, you know, and, and, and we're, we're a group of, of people who uh, believe that culture, like work culture, uh, is the number one driver of productivity and uh, retaining team members. You know, um, I don't think that, uh, I don't think that a plant's organizational structure is a family because families are dysfunctional as heck. I mean, <laughs> but they're a team, right? It's like, like, I know people say that a lot, but, but like team building skills are, are so, so, so important. And, and the reason, the reason why, I mean, <clears throat> I talk about the Peter principle a lot when I talk to people and we talk about people getting kind of shoved into positions of management because they're, they're regarded as, um, promotions for, for very high level technicians, you know, and a lot of times those people don't really want to manage people. That's not, that's not what they do, you know? Um, and, and, um, so the, I was one of those people, you know, I was a butcher that, that got a lot done and got pushed into management. Luckily I like it. Uh, but I realized that when I was expected to take on this role, I walked, I, I, I didn't, I didn't know what I didn't know. And I also knew that. So it, that's very, very stressful coming into a position, as, especially as a high level technician or as like, you know, a subject matter expert, say a farmer who wants to become a plant manager or, or what have you. Um, it's, it's nerve wracking and you don't really know what to do. So you end up focusing on fighting fires constantly and and looking for those because that's that's uh that feels pretty good to be able to solve issues at hand but it does nothing for your bottom line at the end of the day fighting fires rarely does anything for your bottom line in the long term and so the the way that the you know over time i've kind of developed this this model and it's based on you manage a plant starting day one, the day that you walk in the door, you don't ease into it. You start managing it and, and what you do. And, and it's the exact same thing for a brand new manager who's coming up from say being like a production superintendent or the best slaughterman on the four person team in the custom, you know, whoever it is, the person that's getting moved into management's never done it before. It's the same model for them as it is who, for someone who walks in the door as a manager at a new facility. It's the exact same thing. Because what you have to learn as either person is the same set of information and no two plants are the same. You know, I mean, you know, when we go in and do a desk audit at a plant, there's kind of know what to look for. But if you really want to understand it, it takes, it takes a month. Um, and so that's kind of what, what uh, the upcoming podcast series is going to be about. It's like, what do I do as a new manager or a, experience manager in a new plant who just doesn't know where to start. And you go through this full audit process 
and then create programs where the gaps lie. And by the time you're done with that, you've got a, a really well-oiled machine. And it doesn't have to take that long. Um, and, and, and there's a bunch of, you know, we're going to talk about culture. We're going to talk about meetings. We're going to talk about people too. It's not just going to be about operations and processes in the plant. Um, you know, you've covered most of those things, uh, in your podcast better than I ever would. You know? So, uh, but, but we're, but we are going to talk some processes. We are going to talk, um, how to get started. We're going to talk people and culture, um, all kinds of stuff. I'm so excited. So now one of the things that we talk about when we bring on new clients is, as I know, and I don't know if you got this from me because I do the same thing, but you have a recommended reading list for people. And so tell us what's on your recommended reading list so that, so that people can know where your mind frame comes from. Gosh, awesome. Okay, great. That's, I love that question. Um, my, my audible account is just a mess. I've got like 30 books started. Uh, but the, but the ones that are really, really, really important are actually several of them, uh, came from you when I was a client of yours actually. And, and they are also on my recommended reading list. So there could be some overlap here, but, but that's okay. So, uh, books, you know, I'll try to keep it under 10. Um, but, but, but here's, here's the big ones. Uh, the first one is, I like the five dysfunctions of a team. I, it, it tells a great story. It's, it's pretty palatable. It's a short read or listen. If you do audible, I prefer audible cause I'm outside or I'm walking or I'm doing something and, and can digest books that way. Not a lot, a lot of people that work in, in processing plants or as ranchers or whoever it is, restaurateurs, uh, don't have time to sit and read, you know, um, but they can listen. So everything I'm going to say here is going to be on Audible. Um, the five dysfunctions of a team is the first one that tells a great story about a team of people. And every, you hear all these personalities on this team. And you're like, oh, I know that person. Oh, I know that person. For me, it was like, oh, that's me. Oh, that's me too. Oh, I'm all of, I have all five dysfunctions. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, but, but it's a great book and it, and it, and it tells you a lot about people. Um, the next one that's that's that I got from uh, the most brilliant eight. I don't. I would never say HR like cult like culture professional that I've ever worked with. His name's Oliver Mincy. Incredible guy. Um, he recommended this book to me, and it, and it was a game changer. Radical Candor by Kim Scott. Uh, such a great book. You know, um, it it it's framed within the world of Silicon Valley or like tech, tech startup, but it was not off-putting at all. Like so many books are framed in that world. This one was really digestible. She's very straight and to the point. There's not a bunch of fluff and, and it's just, it talks about different communication styles. And again, it's like, it, 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 it explains how to be respectfully candid with people. And, and it talks a little bit about boundaries, but it mostly talks about like stating your needs, like what you need from someone or what you can do. And it, and, and, but it talks, it also talks about all the other ways that we do that in unhealthy ways. And, and it just resonated. So if you are working in a plant or you want to, you know, just be a better communicator in general, Radical Candor by Kim Scott, incredible. Um, the goal that's a big one. Uh, that one came from Dr. P. Uh, the goal is a fantastic book about manufacturing. It is very corny sometimes. 
but that's because it again tells uh it, it, it it's a parable it tells teaches its lessons through telling a story and it's uh, all about manufacturing uh and and really taught me through a through a, a fictional story um taught me more about process flow and lean manufacturing and diagnosing bottlenecks than any other actual manufacturing book I've read. Uh, it's fantastic. If you have a plant and you want to know how to make it more efficient or just how to think about efficiency, get this book. It's the goal. It's a story. It's easy to listen to. Great accents. Great love scenes. Get it. Um, the, oh, you know, I have to put this one out there for, for if you are like me, if you are a person who has a difficult time with time management, um, I've got a couple different ones. So one of them is, um, I believe it's called the miracle habits by Mitch Horowitz. It's not really how to manage your time, but he talks about how to live in a way that will set you up to get the things done that you want to achieve the results that you set for yourself. And it's, and it's not corny. It's very approachable. This guy's like the type of guy who like wears leather jackets and goes to shows and drinks beer, but he, he's a, he's a very eloquent speaker and he, and he's very, very relatable and just talks about, these are some habits to set up in your life. You know, uh, for instance, one of them is don't spend money on things that won't make more of it for you. Right. It's great. Like, yeah, I bought myself a new guitar somewhat recently. That's that's some entertainment that and it's really enriching to me. It helps me unload. It makes me a better worker, you know. So that one, the Miracle Habits, uh, and then and then Getting Things Done by David Allen. So this book, the other four are just a total hoot. The other four that I told you about, this one is dry. It's very dry. It's very heady. David Allen is a computer person. Uh, hybrid. I don't know what he is, but but uh, his personal organization system is absolutely incredible. And I've listened to the book probably three times now. Every time I do, I pick up something else. I cannot institute his entire system. It's so incredibly organized and so perfect. But what I took from it and adapted to my life completely changed me as a manager and as a person who does work. Um, and so I totally cherry pick the easy stuff, but he, you know, that's okay. And I think that that's what he expected. So that's my recommended reading list for right now. Getting things done by David Allen, Mitch Horowitz, the, the miracle habits, um, five dysfunctions of a team. I can't remember that author's name, radical candor by Kim Scott and the goal by professor Goldratt out of Israel. That's right. That's right. So that's that's for right now, but but I imagine by the time uh, the next time we do one of these, I'll have five more. Well, and that brings up a really good point because what most people you know don't understand is that really good managers and really good leaders are readers. You have to be. You absolutely have to be. And and honestly, those those are like my classics. But I've got I've got some right now that are that are really that are really just changing me. The practice, mm -hmm. Seth Godin. I won't say any more books, but th but this one. Wow, what a book! And and it basically, if you're like me and and you fall into procrastination or anxiety or or feeling you know any sort of uh, just just averse, sometimes when you have a lot of work to do, you know how good it's going to be to get in the zone and do the work. 
but getting to, to sit down can be so difficult. And this book talks about it. Just, it's just a complete mindset changer. It, it's, 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 uh, it's incredible. Uh, the perspective that this fellow has, he's like inspiration, talent, those things, they, they don't go very far. You just got to show up and do it. And if you that's it, yeah, it's so incredible. And it's, and, and, and once you work that muscle and get into that zone and do the creative work and get better and better and better, it actually happens. You know, it really, it really, it's like losing weight. It's like learning to play an instrument. It's like just doing the work. Showing up and doing the work. Hmm. That's right. Okay. So I'm going to start because I can't like, as somebody who is such an avid reader, I can't have a discussion of books without, especially because you use the phrase books that are changing me right now. Yeah, please, please. And I would say the book that changed me the most this quarter. So it'll be different next quarter, but the book that changed me the most is a book called the body keeps the score by Dr. Vanderkoek. And it's about how we process trauma, right? And I found it completely fascinating because when I'm coaching people, like, you know, and you and I have coaching calls and things like that, it's like, how does that make you feel? Like, where do you feel that in your body? Because one of the things I think that we ignore um, to our peril, especially in the meat processing industry, um, is that the trauma of taking a life Okay, and what you experience on the slaughter floor, the body keeps the score. And we either learn to process that emotion and process that trauma as emotional adults, or it leads to massive dysfunction in slaughterhouses. Yeah. I don't want to, I mean, can I, can I? speak on that a little bit Absolutely. I, I can't wait to read that i'm gonna i'm gonna have a couple of credits to burn right now so um i apparently buy i buy credits in my sleep I, they just keep showing up in my account i don't know what it is but anyways uh wow yeah that's a big one i mean there's so much that i i can't tell you how many nightmares how, how much sleep i lost when i was a knocker um it's it's a very hard job it's very high pressure uh and and honestly the system is set up for it to never be any different it is not. It it cannot exist any differently, because of the way that the the way the system works from from the zero tolerance policy with the USDA. And I'm not saying that there should be tolerance, but my but the the way that it's set up right now is very very scary for people. Um, and and to be honest, there's so few plants, and I would say zero, almost zero plants under a certain size that have robust, patient stunning training programs where you can start a program with a mentor and come out of it and, and, and know what you're doing and feel confident and be excited for your first day. You know, um, it's just not set up for that. And that's, and that's something that, that we are working on it. Well, I mean, it's done. We already have it. Uh, but, but working on getting out there is, is that really modern, robust, systematic approach to humane handling that comes with a team training and a humane stunning training program and and like it's without i hats off to all the people that do it out there um that work slaughter and haven't been trained well uh, there, there are a lot of people out there that uh fit into that category and um we we definitely appreciate you and want to make it easier we do we really really do and it's you know you and i come to it from different perspectives 
Um, and there's nobody else out there that combines the level of technical knowledge with the level of coaching to make it, uh, I don't want to say effortless. I don't know that slaughtering animals should ever be effortless, uh, um, but to make it so that we honor the animal and we honor the people who are in there doing the work um, and and then bring that honor through to the finished packaged product. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I recently had a discussion with Chuck uh, Bildstein from Bunzel. He, he's their slaughter equipment guru, you know, uh, or, or, or expert. Uh, and, you know, he made a great point. He said that 99.99 people that show up to these businesses every day to do their job have absolutely no carnage on their mind they have they have, they don't they don't want to they don't want to mess up they don't want to hurt anything they don't want anything to go wrong they want everything to be perfect you know uh, this this image of the slaughterhouse worker being kind of like a like a, a, a an outcast or like a person that that maybe is is uh has been incarcerated or like whatever you know it's just like this assumption the stereotype right and and while like a lot of times that's true i would say people that work on slaughter floors tend to be extremely detail-oriented people who take a lot of pride in their work no i totally agree i totally agree and so i think that you know i think what we've talked about there's so much here that we can talk about and i just want everybody to know that these are the kinds of topics that David's going to be covering and I am going to be covering as we go forward because these are the sorts of conversations that we need to have to have a truly re-regionalized food system that brings food security to the places where we all live, gives us the food we want to eat. That's right. Yeah, well said. All right. So excellent, David. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Tell us how to get in touch with you. Where can we find you? All the ads and all that jazz. <laughs> oh, sure. Thank you very much for having me. This is, this is fun. I've listened to this podcast for a long time. So this is really cool. Um, so David at Dirigo Food Safety. It's as simple as that. Uh, but you can also find me on Instagram at a farm butcher or at the meat block podcast um where we it's it's a little more chummy you know but but we talk about a lot of talk about a lot of meaty things um not not nearly to the technical level of, of this particular program though so uh yeah it's a contrast but yeah that's that's how you can get a hold of me and and uh yeah i look forward to meeting some some of the listeners all right. That's amazing. So David's podcasts are going to be dropping on this channel on Food Safety University on Mondays. So you'll be hearing from the team twice a week. Uh, we always love uh, to hear your questions. If you have not gone to foodsafetyuniversity.com and downloaded the 12 Steps of Passive, you should do that immediately. <laughs> immediately. It's an amazing download. Thank you again so much, David, for being on the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. I'm looking forward to Monday. <laughs> Talk to you then. Thanks for listening. Before you go, hit the subscribe button and check us out at foodsafetyuniversity.com. We have free food safety guides waiting for you. See you next time.